How's everyone doing tonight? Good. Good. I'm excited uh, just to meet together. It's, it's always a privilege to meet together and to, to worship Jesus and to grow as a, as a community. If you're new or newer uh, to Access, I want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Jake. I have the honor of serving as, as pastor of young adults here at Res Life. And glad that you're here. If you don't have a home church, come visit us on a Sunday at the 1130 service. Uh, we sit in the front left section. But uh, tonight, I'm continuing a series called Cover the Earth. Everyone say, Cover the Earth. And so it's kind of like part two of, of this little uh, series that we're in. And the story, I have a story that I'm going to share with you, and it's a testimony. And this testimony, I actually heard this testimony about maybe a year and a half ago. And I heard this testimony, and this, this specific story was a turning point in my personal life. It was, a, it was an inspiration. It was a call to action. And most importantly, it opened my eyes to what I w- I'll call tonight the global church. It opened my eyes to the fact that America is not the central hub of Christianity and that God is moving in powerful, magnificent ways throughout the rest of the earth and that we as Americans have much to learn from our brothers and sisters that are in third world countries, in dictatorships, in communist countries, and that their faith and their devotion to Jesus is something that we need to learn from. Amen? As Americans, sometimes we can have this pride where it's like because we have freedom that we have it figured out. But in, a, in, a, in, in really the most, in the most important issues of following Jesus, our brothers and sisters in other countries have much to teach us. And so this testimony I'm going to share with you opened my eyes to this journey of, of, of expanding my view of God's kingdom in the earth. Um, and also, this, this really initiated um, what we call our 242 initiative, or our, our kind of our focus on community. And so, this past October, our leaders went on a trip, um, I don't know, a weekend retreat, and we kind of asked the Lord, and we, we brainstormed, like, where is, access, where is the Lord taking access? Where is the Lord taking our young adult community? And we kind of, we kind of, we kind of honed in on this really just 242, right? This, this, these numbers, and it's inspired from Acts 242. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And so they, they devoted themselves to scriptures. They devoted themselves to fellowship, doing life together, to communion, and to prayer. And it said, in the next verse, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so this Acts 2.42 lifestyle is a lifestyle of following Jesus in community, okay? And this this... This 242 initiative took place, and now we have this goal for our group that we want every single person who calls Access Home or Res Life Home, that's a young adult, we want every single person to have friendships that are devoted to Jesus and the spiritual disciplines. So the spiritual disciplines would be something that, that would be that would include uh, reading scripture together, praying together, worshiping together, taking communion together. And it isn't that those aren't the only four things, fasting together. It's basically following Jesus together. And so in this message and in this community, what we're aiming for is to go from just having Christian friends to moving towards following Jesus together. I said it in, in our series in October. I said, most Christians have Christian friends. Very few Christians follow Jesus with their Christian friends. Most Christians just are satisfied with having friends that claim the name Christian and don't do naughty things and don't tempt them. Very few Christians 
center their life with their community around Jesus and the mission of the church to cover the earth with God's message and his love. Very few people do that. But I'm hoping that more people will do that. I'm, I'm hopeful that God is doing something, not just in me, it's in the earth of small hubs of friends and friendships that are devoted to Jesus and following him as a community. And so we as a large community follow Jesus, but I'm hoping to inspire, encourage, and to, and to encourage you to meet with your friends to follow Jesus, not just to attend church with your friends, although I highly encourage attending church. So I believe that it's through these small, committed friendships that Jesus moves most powerfully. Um, We sometimes get tricked into thinking that the large gatherings, the big names, and the certain brands are where God moves, that he moves at a Maverick City music night of worship, or he moves in these these, uh, facilities with hundreds or thousands of people, and that's where God's presence rests, is where there's the most people. But that's a very American idea. God's presence moves most powerfully in small, committed environments where Jesus is at the center. He moves most powerfully with the least noise in the room. He moves most powerfully when the people are most committed to one another, not when you're strangers in a room. You see, you might have the flash in the pan emotion of having a light show and big things happening, but it's in, it's in the boring, mundane gathering of small groups of Christians that you're so quiet that you just pick up on the frequency of the Lord's voice and you start to see the love of God that he has for you, the people in the room, and in your world. See, God moves most powerfully in these small environments, and we gather together to spur each other on. We gather together to say, what's God doing in your life? And you share, and they're like, whoa, I didn't even know that was possible. This is what he's doing in my life. And you say, I never even knew that. What? Okay, we're going to pursue that too. And you can celebrate with each other. That's the corporate large body. But God moves most powerfully. By powerfully, I mean he transforms our lives in the most significant and the most effective ways in the small gatherings. And I want to encourage us to be 242 people. I want to encourage us to not have friends that are Christians only, but to have friends that pursue Jesus and the spiritual disciplines together. Not just an individualistic faith, but a communal faith. Now, a communal, communal faith can't save you, but a con- communal faith is what you were designed to live in after being saved. Give me an amen if you're on board. Come on. I need some, I need some more participation. I feel like I was just f- going there and everyone's just staring at me. Maybe the Lord's just convicting you, so I'm just going to trust that that was that, okay? So um, the story that I want to share with you, I mentioned, is going to revolve around this idea that God covers the earth one person at a time. Everyone say one person at a time. I mean, how many of you know, like, whenever you get, like, a big gathering and there's an altar call and you see God moving, like, that's amazing, right? When you're like, God is moving in this room. This is amazing. There's so many people here. Like, what? Like, God, you're amazing. I've been in those environments before. But do you know that every single person is an individual in that room? And and we get caught up in numbers, but God gets caught up in individuals. And God covers the earth one person at a time. The, the, the goodness and the message in the kingdom of heaven is, is, is sent throughout the earth. God covers the earth with his message, his truth, and his love 
when people are transformed by the message of the gospel and by the person of Jesus. He, although the earth is covered with the kingdom of God because Jesus teaches us it's at hand, it's when the message manifests in the life of a person and they're changed and born again is when the earth is covered with God's presence because he dwells within us. Does that make sense? So the way that we see God's kingdom cover the earth is through our life reflecting his glory in which men are drawn to God through the message we proclaim in the life that we live, and that's how God sends his message. It's through his messengers, through his hands and his feet. It's us. And so this message I'm going to share with you, I hope inspires you, and I hope it challenges you, and I hope it draws you to love Jesus more deeply. So I'm going to share a story about a, a man named Hanif. Everyone say Hanif. He's from, an Afri- he's from a country in Africa, a Muslim country in Africa. And Hanif is a, is a Muslim leader. He's a sheik. So he's in charge of planting mo- new mosques. He's a religious leader in his community. He's a, he's a, has interper- good interpersonal skills, so he's, he's uh, promoted quite quickly within his religion, and he's very influential. See, in the, in the Muslim faith, prayer is a huge deal, so he prays 17 times a day. But what, what uh, Hanif doesn't tell anyone is Hanif has a deep void in his life. Even though he's prayed and he's promoted, he's missing something. The answers that the Muslim f- faith were giving him were not satisfying his deepest questions and his voids. But he can never tell anyone that because then he would be in trouble living in a Muslim country, in a Muslim region. So then one day, Hanif had a dream. And in this dream, he had dreams before, but, and by the way, his story can be found in a book called Miraculous Movements. Okay, his story can be found in a book called Miraculous Movements. And he had a dream. He's had dreams before, but this dream was different. His previous dreams were dark and, and almost nightmarish, and this dream was different. In it, a man, who he describes as a handsome man, a graceful man, approaches him. And in the dream, the man says, come follow me. You have no idea who it is, do you? Don't you? You have no idea. <laughs> he then later said to him, listen to me. Hanif asks him, who are you? And the man responds, Isa al-Masih, which is Jesus the Messiah in Islam. Jesus told him to go to a spot in town. He recognized the spot, and Jesus tells him to sit under a tree. He recognized the spot, and he goes to the tree. And then Jesus says to Hanif, he says, there's going to be a man, and he shows him the picture of the man, his, his face. And he says, this is my servant. He'll answer all the questions that you have. So Hanif was nervous, as you can imagine. If he, if he knows that claiming and confessing Jesus as the Messiah could get him killed in his region, so that he had to keep this on the down low, and so he doesn't tell his wife, he doesn't tell anyone. He goes within hours, he gets to the spot, and he sits there, he's nervous, because what if he miss? can you imagine this? Like, what if you miss the guy? Like, right? It's like, what if you miss him? It's like, come on, right? And so he's nervous because he's like, I only have like a few seconds to like look at each face. And then what if I like don't recognize him? He's nervous and he's sitting there. He's there for an hour. He's there for two hours. And he's starting, can you imagine what you'd be thinking? Uh, He starts to question, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'll never see him. Maybe I already missed him. And then all of a sudden, three men start walking towards him and he, he recognizes the middle guy from his dream. 
He sees him, and he runs up to him. He runs up to this guy. The ne- this guy's name is Wafi. He runs up to him and, and, and says to him, you were in my dream. And to anyone else, this would be odd. This would be freaky, creepy, whatever it is, right? But to Wafi, this was normal. You see, because Wafi was a Christian. And Wafi was trained in what's called looking for persons of peace. As a Muslim country, you're not as quick to evangelize, although we're not quick to evangelize in America either. He wasn't quick to evangelize because of the persecution that could come from professing Jesus. And so what, they, what Christians in his community started to, to realize is that they read Matthew 10 and, and Luke 10, as we'll read later, is that there are persons of peace, people who are open and hungry to the gospel who are not yet saved. And so Wafi had experienced this before where people would find him and say, tell me about Jesus. And so he comes to Wafi and he says, I had this dream, you were in it. Uh, Isa al-Masih came to me and said to follow me. He said that you were a servant and he said that you could give me all the answers that I need and I'm looking for. And Wafi said, he was, the two guys were hit, like some of his guys he was discipling and they were going to an all-night prayer meeting. And he says, oh my gosh, I praise God, this is so amazing, but I'm on my way to a prayer meeting, I'll, I'll come to you tomorrow. And, and, and Hanif says, no, you are coming to my house today. And he says, no, listen, man, I'm going to an all-night prayer meeting, I can't go with you. And he says, no, you're coming with me today. And so Wafi decides to go with Hanif. And he goes to his house, and he meets his wife, and his wife quickly realizes that he's a Christian, and she starts freaking out. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing bringing a Christian in our house? You're going to get us in trouble. You're a sheik. What are you doing? What is going on right now? And, he, you know, he, and then she, uh, he describes the dream to his wife, and they sit down, and they start asking Wafi questions. And Wafi answers the questions, and he stays with them for two days, multiple days. And at the end of the two days, Wafi leads Hanif and his whole family to Jesus. This is a sheik, a Muslim leader, is saved by Jesus through this miraculous event in which he gets a dream. He gets a dream and he obeys what the dream said and he goes to a man, he finds the man, the man is ready, the man comes to his house and the man leads a Muslim sheik to Jesus and the story gets even better. Over time, uh, Wafi disciples Hanif and then over time the Holy Spirit works on Hanif's life and he leads him to go to this dangerous part, this dangerous region in his country and to start preaching Jesus. Hanif responds, takes his family, and he goes to this dangerous region in his country to preach in Jesus and to find people of peace. And within a matter of time, he starts seven churches. Now, these are house churches, so they're not like a church like this. It's a small gathering of Christians devoted to Jesus and the spiritual disciplines. That's what a church is in this African country. I find this very compelling. I find this story 
inspirational. I find it, I am in awe of what God is able to do. This is an impossible, like without God, this is impossible. And yet this is what God does. And I have some observations from this story that I'd like to preach from tonight and also sharing some scriptures. The three things that I'd like to share is that God still speaks sometimes in unusual ways. Yeah, but Jake, that's in a different country. Hmm. Sounds like an excuse to me. Sounds like unbelief to me. And sounds like an Americanized and an Americanized version of Christianity in which that seems too radical for us today. This was in Acts 2, 17. It says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. It's almost like Wafi believes the scriptures. It's almost as if he reads it and he believes it. And it's almost as if because he reads it and he believes it, he expects it. And it's almost because, because he reads it and believes and expects it, he sees it. And because he's open, he sees and interacts with God in a way that covers the earth and shares the message of, message of Jesus almost automatically. Not automatically because it doesn't require obedience, but because we abide in Christ, because we're in a relationship with him. He knows all things. He's all-powerful. He's the one who saves, and as he saves, he directs us to help other people step into the light. And he's not waiting for, for, for Hanif to go to a church. He was waiting to send him to a servant. Remember what he called him? He said, my servant. My servant. When I, when I, when I read that part, I was like, God, am I a servant? Am, am I, like, do you view me that way? Do you view me as someone trustworthy to send a person of peace? Or am I too busy in my life that I will miss him so you just disregard me altogether? Do you just look past me because you know me and you know I'm too busy? I'm too busy preaching. I'm too busy studying. I'm too busy reading. I'm too busy on Instagram or YouTube. That I'm too busy getting my groceries and getting out without talking to people and being inconvenienced at the store. I'm just too busy for your persons of peace, God. Why don't you just send them to church? And God's like, I'll work with what I got, but I'd rather use people than buildings. And this is where we can learn from our brothers and our sisters in these regions. They do not shrug off responsibility to the other. They take personal responsibility for discipleship and for evangelism. There is no one for Wafi to send him to. God sends him to me. I'm not shrugging him off to someone else. Okay, let's go love Jesus, and I'll teach you how to read the Bible, teach you how to pray, and then I'm not going to keep you. You go, man. Right? We'll talk about that in a minute, another takeaway. So I want to talk. God still speaks sometimes in unusual ways. He still speaks in unusual ways. Yes to you. 
He speaks to you. He's trying to communicate to you. He's trying to lead you. He's trying to get in your world to influence your life in a way that brings glory to his name and expands his kingdom. And he does it through his leading, his spirit, and his wisdom, and his word. So these are the four ways that God speaks to us today. I say this to give us a framework for how God would communicate to us. I was talking with Caleb earlier before the message and how sometimes it's like, yeah, how do we communicate, how do we like describe the way that God speaks to us without people running around saying like, God told me this and God told me, like that's a pretty crazy claim. Like God told me? Like if God told me something, like that would like blow, like I don't know, like he spoke in the entire universe, like <laughs> our universe came into existence, like his voice is powerful. And so how we think about him communicating to us matters. So here are the four ways. The first way he speaks to us and the primary way that God has spoken to us and speaks to us is through scripture. It's through his word. Second way is through prayer. It's through relationship and communion and time spent in silence and solitude. It's praying the Psalms and letting those massage into our hearts so that we get God's word in us so that when he speaks to us, we recognize it. Second way is through prayer. Third way is through circumstances. I would classify Hanif's experience as a circumstance. He had a dream. God intervened in his life through a circumstance to get him to salvation, to get him to the message of Jesus, to get him to the place of covering the earth with the goodness, the love, and the kingdom of God. And the last way is the church. It's the preaching of God's word in a way that reaches people where they're at. God will use the church in order to speak the oracles of God in a timely fashion. So this is not new information. This is fresh information. So God will not speak something new as in revelatory, never been heard, but something that's a reminder that wakes you up. It's like something that is fresh. It's a rhema word. So God desires this living relationship with us, one that is dynamic based on the foundation of Jesus Christ and the scriptures. As we mature and learn to hear his voice, we then grow his kingdom together. My second point off of, this, of uh, Hanif's testimony is that God is still preparing persons of peace. In Matthew 10, 11 through 15, it says, Whatever city or village you enter, inquire who is worthy in it. So whenever you enter a city or a village, you enter, inquire who is worthy. What that's saying is, look for a person of peace. Whenever you enter into a Walmart, right? Whenever you enter into, like, who is there that God is already working on that you can come and be a servant to? See, some of us are too comfortable in our church seat, and we need to get and start using our feet and using our relationship with God in a way that expands his kingdom everywhere we go. Now, we'll talk about some practicals to this in a minute. Inquire who is worthy in it and stay at his house until you leave that city. Luke 10 says this, And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So this idea of a person of peace is found in Luke, in Matthew 10, Luke 10, and then we see it in Acts 9 with Ananias and Paul, or Saul, I should say. Saul is killing and persecuting Christians, and he meets with Jesus, and then, then God, or Jesus, comes to Ananias and says, hey, yo, Saul's coming your way. 
And then Ananias is like, what? He's murdering. What do you mean he's sending him my way? Send him to Cornelius. You know, send him to someone else. Like, don't send him to me. He says, don't worry. He's coming your way. Have him stay with you and heal his eyes. So he prays for him, and he sets Saul up to become the leader of the, the church of the Gentiles. So we see this person of peace working out through Ananias and Paul, or Saul. So God covers the earth one person at a time. He covers the earth one person at a time. God is a, he is a father. He is, the, he is the father. He is the shepherd who goes and leaves the 99 to find the one. He is desiring to meet the one. He will leave the 99 in the care of itself to, to go and find the one. And he uses servants to find and rescue the one. Not that we save anyone, but we are the hands and feet, the bridge that points them. It's the hand off the baton to Jesus and say, here my Savior is, here the scriptures are, here is the gospel of salvation. And I'm getting to a point with this because I sense in the room that some people are saying, this isn't for me. I'm sensing it even right now that some people say, this is too much for me. And God is telling you to quit that stinking thinking. He's telling you to stop listening to the lies that this isn't for you and start listening to the truth that this is the only reason you're alive. This is it. To spread God's kingdom, to love his people regardless of situation. This is your purpose. This is your mission. This is why we're alive. And the world and the devil and all of the other outlets are trying to distract you from that mission. Every sin that ensnares, everything that comes our way is trying to pull you and get you away from Jesus and his mission of covering the earth. Ah, sorry, I just get like, I can't stand when people don't believe this. This is the gospel. Because some of you will listen to it and you'll be like, yeah, I don't know if I really like that message. I'm going to go and I'm going, I, I like that type of message better. This, I'm not saying my message, this is the message. Like you can go find therapeutic messages that will make you feel good all day long. But your mission that's found in the scriptures, that's found in the Great Commission, that's found in Jesus coming to earth is for you to be filled with him so that you can go and spew on other people. It's a weird way to describe it. You did. Sorry, I'm going to stop with the analogies. That's why you're alive. Don't go for what you want to hear. Go for what stirs something in and says, that's not possible for me. If that's what you think, it means you're on the right track because your carnal, worldly thinking is being challenged and God is saying you're called to this. Come on. Get in the game. You can do it. Stop looking so poorly about yourself and start looking at what he thought of you when he sent Jesus to die on a cross to reclaim your life and to put his spirit inside of you. He could have lived in any house. He could have bought any property on earth. He could have claimed the, Appalachian, uh, the Appalachians. He could have claimed the Grand Canyon. He could have claimed any part of the earth. And he says, I don't want to live any of those places. I want to live in humans. That's where I want to live. And we're like, oh, God, I'm so wretched. You were wretched. You ain't wretched no more. 
You were wretched. But praise be to God that he saw past your wretchedness and he sees you through the blood of Jesus Christ. Who are you to say that you can't do that? Who, your body's not even your own. You were bought with a price. So honor God with your bodies. Man. I am so over time. This is bad. I'm not going to get through this message. I guess we'll be here till nine. No, this is good. So our friendships, I'm going to take a little bit of a turn here. Our friendships are designed to have a missional element to them. So I mentioned 242 earlier. Friendships devoted to Jesus and the spiritual disciplines. The reason most Christian friend groups are kind of lame and boring, I'm serious. Because we're like, yeah, we can't drink. Can't have sex. We don't do drugs. We just play board games. <laughs> it's like literally, like that's it. Like, let's do a karaoke night. I don't know. What are we going to do? And then we post on Instagram. We're having so much fun. And the world's like, yeah, you guys are having fun right there. Yeah. <laughs> having tons of fun over there, you know. Yeah, we can't ride in the same car with another girl. All right. We got to <laughs> separate. I'm just saying those boundaries are good. I'm just saying. Most, the reason like why friend groups, right, Christian friend groups, are somewhat unfulfilling is because they lack a missional element. Most friend groups, Christian friend groups, are friends because they don't want to be lonely. It's not because they have a greater purpose in their friendships. It's that I don't want to be lonely. And the, and the fruit of that is that as soon as someone starts dating someone in a Christian friend group, the, 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 often what will happen is that friend will stop hanging out with their friends. And it shows that the only reason they were friends, I'm not, I'm not trying to blast anyone, I'm just saying like it's just the reality. And I understand, I'm not blaming anyone or shaming anyone, it's just like you need to have a missional element because as soon as you get a girlfriend or a boyfriend, it's like I'm not lonely anymore so I can leave you, you served your purpose, now I'm on to the next thing. I got real quiet in this room. <laughs> but it's because friendships lack a missional element. My encouragement to you is learn from Hanif and Wafi, and your friend group, as you start meeting consistently around this, the spiritual disciplines devoted to Jesus, is that you include a conversation with your friends that you will look as a group for people of peace. And that you as a group will say, we will disciple a new believer. We will teach them the scriptures. We will teach them to pray. We may not know anything, but we will teach them what we know. Best way is just to find somebody who doesn't know anything, and then you can teach them what you know, and they think you're a genius, okay? Right? You don't need to be a theologian. You don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be an extrovert. You need to have a relationship with Jesus, and you need to love the scriptures, and you need to pray. and you, Not need to, but you get to, and as you do that, what you find is the reason why most friend groups are just not as vibrant and, and alive as they could be is because there's no, there's no investment. There's no mission. So my encouragement to us is if you have a group, if you don't have a group, start a group. Start, what is a 242? How do you start a 242? If you have a friend who's a Christian, you, you, you talk to that friend. You say, hey, friend, let's pray. <laughs> That's a 242, right? And then you say, okay, let's pray every other week on Mondays or Tuesdays. And then you do that consistently. And then as you're doing that, you say, now let's, let's ask God to bring us someone that we can help grow in the Lord. 
Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a random stranger like Hanif and Wafi. But you don't do it as in like looking for projects. You go to the Father and you say, God, bring us a person of peace. You do it in relationship with Holy Spirit. And when you do it that way, he'll bring the people and it will work. If you try to do it on your own, you will, you will inevitably turn them into a project and it will, go, it will not be good. But if you do it in relationship with Holy Spirit, with humility, what you'll find is that your friend group will start having a common mission, which is making disciples. And you'll find that the arguments and the disagreements that you had before, they're not so important anymore because you have a greater mission, which is discipleship and covering God's earth one person at a time. Does this make sense? And I'm challenging you. It's like, here's my third point. Ordinary people, this is what we learned from, from Hanif and Wafi. Ordinary people can make disciples who make disciples. Wafi wasn't special. He was not educated. He was not famous. He was not a pastor. He was not any of those things. He was a servant. Ordinary people can make disciples who make disciples. In a lot of ways, Hanif was much more gifted, much more charismatic, much more, by the world standard, popular, and yet, Wafi, the insignificant one, discipled Hanif because he was a servant. You don't need to be special. You are special. You don't need to have, have a theology degree. You need to have a relationship with Jesus. You have a humble heart and a willing spirit and a sacrificial lifestyle of loving Jesus and denying yourself. So it says in Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He has good works for us, prepared. He has people of peace prepared for us. And may we be the people, the servants that are willing to first off go to an all-night prayer meeting, like Wafi. May we be the people who would deter and change our plans in order to allow a person. He spent two days with him. Oh, it's two, I don't know if I can spend two days with someone. He's planted seven churches in a region that was persecuting Christians. His investment for two days made an eternal impact in a region that may have never heard the gospel without him. It's because of inconvenience. Listen, Jesus is worth the inconvenience. People are worth the inconvenience. You don't have to wait for me to commission you. You don't have to wait for anyone else to give you the okay and the thumbs up. You have the Spirit of God. You can have relationship with Jesus. You have the scriptures to guide you. You have the scriptures to help you to disciple someone else. You have the scriptures at your disposal. And if you are hungry and you are humble, then God will send people your way, I promise. I'm going to end with this testimony. And then we'll close out and go to community groups. I was in college. I went to Cornerstone University. Well, I went to Grace Bible and then I graduated from Cornerstone. Um, I was in chapel one day. And I'm just going to give you a model of what like, finding a person of peace looks like. I was in chapel one day. I was just worshiping, you know. I was like, I was at Cornerstone, so I'm like, just got one hand up. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) 
If you go down to Cornerstone, you'd understand. I love Cornerstone. I love those people there, right? They're awesome. I'm just saying, it's funny. It's like for me, a res life, I'm jumping around dancing, right? Anyway, sorry, we're already past time and I'm making, making this way longer than it needs to be. So I'm there. And all of a sudden, I'm like worshiping and I, I'm like looking at the stage, I'm in the back, and all of a sudden, like, there's a lot of people at chapel at Cornerstone. Like, there's a lot of people. There's, you know, five, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred, I don't know. Anyway, there's a lot of people. So I'm sitting there worshiping, all of a sudden, this guy, it's just a guy, and it's just like, why am I looking at that guy? (laughs) I don't know. It's like weird. It's like, I'm just looking at this guy, and he's not worshiping, like, expressively. He's just standing there. And, like, there's something in me that I was just like, you need to go talk to that guy. And I'm like, That's, what am I going to say to him? What am I going to say? Hey, I'm supposed to talk to you? Like, what, like, like what, is, what is happening right now? I don't know what to do. And so I just obeyed. And after chapel, he was hanging out with a bunch of guys. I just walked up to him. I was like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? He's like, sure, I guess. And I was like, hey, man, I know this is going to sound really weird. But out in worship, I just felt like God told me to come up to you and I needed to meet you. And his face was just like, what? Like, what? Are you being serious? He literally said, are you being serious right now? And I said, yeah, I was just back there and the Lord told me just to come and talk to you. Like, God, I felt like God told me to talk to you. He's like, you're telling me that God spoke to you? I'm like, I mean, he led me. I don't know how you want to describe it, but he led me to you. And he was like, this is crazy, man. This is totally crazy. And if you knew my friend, you'd, I'm like using his mannerisms. But he's like, he's like, this is crazy, man. He's like, I can't believe this. He's like, I've just been learning about this. And I didn't know if it was real. And I started asking people at Cornerstone, and everyone thinks I'm crazy. God's speaking to you? What are you talking about, man? And I've just been like, I've been like racking my brain. How can this be true? I know this is true, but no one else thinks it's true. And I'm at a Christian university. So me coming to him, we, started, we talked for an hour and a half. We started talking about scripture. We started talking about testimonies. We started talking about just life all together. And then we ended up like meeting up after that. We started meeting up consistently. He became one of my like good friends all throughout college. He like got, and I invited him into my other friend group. And he started to like glean from the other friend group. We started to, he started to like join the small group that I was in. And it was just like, he was like, this is amazing. Like I didn't know people like this existed. Like people who, who, who loved God in this way. And I don't, and I'll pause here. I'm not bashing uh, Cornerstone at, at all. Like I'm not trying to bash them. I, they, they love God sincerely. Like they really do. The professors are amazing. The, the, it's an amazing university. There's just different ways in which God is reaching people that they might not emphasize as much as Res Life Church would. Okay? So I'm not against them. I'm for them 100%. And so finding a person of peace, right, isn't like this crazy, mystical, spiritual trance that you get sent into. It's as simple as just being open and God highlighting someone and you obeying, right? And then as you do that, you invite them into your friend group, right? You're like, hey, come learn about Jesus with me, right? Come learn the scriptures with me and we'll follow Jesus together. And then maybe, just maybe, they don't stay in your group, but you say, you know what? You have friends in your life that need Jesus too, you have friends in your life that you're supposed to go. You're supposed to start your own group, okay? Because you're not just supposed to join our group. You're supposed to be sent. You come discipled, sent. And that's what we're supposed to do, all of us. And so I end by just saying God is able. He is, the, he is 
amazing. Jesus came to, to forgive our sin so that we could be ambassadors in the earth, so that we could partner with him to see the love of Jesus reach people that are hungry for something more than this world has to offer. Would you guys close your eyes as we pray? Heavenly Father, would you just seal this word? Holy Spirit, would you just do what you need to do in our hearts in order to give us a next step, in order to shift our perspective in a way that would get us more on mission with what you're calling us to do as sons and daughters? God, help us to be, not, help us to be unsatisfied, God, with the status quo, and help us to live lives of mission and purpose in your kingdom. God, I pray that you bring the right people, persons of peace into our lives, into this group's lives in the next week, God, that we would have divine encounters that bridge the gap from where people are to Jesus Christ, God. I pray that we would not be on the sideline, we wouldn't be fans and spectators, God, but you would do a work in us where we would be ambassadors, we would be in the game in partnership with you through Jesus Christ. And I pray, God, that we would have a hunger for the scriptures, a desire to know you in the scriptures and to know you in prayer, God, and that we would not, God, live a life that's, that's just boring and status quo, God, but we would live a life of an adventure with the Holy Spirit. We pray this, God, that you would do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That was super good. Thanks, Jake.